Hello, everybody. This is Dan Milner. I am Blurb's Creative Evangelist, and I'm checking in now with another installment of our audio Q&A series. Uh, this month's topic is very close to my heart, and I'll tell you why in a second, but this month's topic is photojournalism. So just to give you a little background, I got a BA in photojournalism from the University of Texas in Austin in 1992, so I'm dating myself there a little bit. 1992 might as well be 1892 at this point, so I'm feeling a bit old, but I'm still here and I'm coming to you with the Q&A. So in my humble opinion, there's no better training ground for being a photographer than doing photojournalism because you might do a portrait in the morning and then cover a forest fire in the afternoon and then photograph a political convention at night all in the same day. So the training is remarkable, but there's a lot of information to get to here. So let me get to the questions. There's going to be a 10-question list here. The first question is, what is photojournalism? And how does it differ from other genres of photography? Okay, let's take a, take a look at the official definition, and then I'll give you my two cents. Official definition is photojournalism is a particular form of journalism, the collecting, editing, and presenting of news material for publications or broadcast that employs images in order to tell a news story. Okay, I think that's all true, pretty concise definition, but I would add a few items to this definition. Photojournalism, in my mind, almost always has a news angle and also has a time element, hence the term breaking news. Whereas something like documentary photography might cover a similar subject, but with a slower, more long-term approach. Like I would call Sebastio Salgado a documentary photographer, not a photojournalist, and I would call Jim Nachtway a photojournalist, but less of a documentary photographer, even though there's crossover with both of those people, depending on what kind of story uh, they're working on. And if you don't know those names, James Nachtway or, or uh, Sebastian Salgado, they are definitely worth your time looking up. They're absolutely fantastic. Some of the best people to walk the earth with a camera in a long time. So, and just remember that you don't, being labeled a photojournalist doesn't mean that's the only kind of photography that you're going to do. You can bounce back and forth between doing a documentary project and doing a journalism piece. So that happens all the time. All right, question number two. Who are some of the legends of this genre? Okay, we'll start outside of the two that I just mentioned. Um, let's go back, though, a long, long way. Roger Fenton is considered the first war photographer due to his work from the Crimean War, which was, uh, I'm no history buff, but all I know is that was a long, long time ago. Then you've got the whole stable of photographers that are associated with an agency like Magnum, and this is the Robert Kappas of the world, the Henri Cartier-Bressons, etc., and if you want to talk classic, more classic photographers, we can talk W. Eugene Smith, who is potentially my all-time favorite documentary slash photojournalist. Uh, he's really remarkable guy. And again, it's W. Eugene Smith. We also have Don McCullen, the famous uh, English war photographer. Uh, people who really influenced me coming up in the photojournalism space. Number one, Maggie Stieber, who I uh, is still out and still photographing. And Maggie had done a book on Haiti called Dancing on Fire that I found when I was in photojournalism school. And I completely fell in love with the project and am still in awe of her today, actually. Um, another person, again, James Nactway I mentioned before, David Burnett, who's uh, another photographer that's been pretty transcendent in the photojournalism space. And then you've got guys like Ron Haviv who is part of the Seven Agency, and that agency alone is filled with, I don't know how many photographers they have now, but they're all incredible photojournalists. And then lastly, I'll throw somebody in who I had breakfast to last week, and his name is Nick Oot, and last name is UT. And all of you probably remember the picture of the girl, uh, the napalm girl in Vietnam running down the street. That was a picture made by Nick, and his 
story is remarkable. There's actually a documentary film being made right now that's going to come out, I believe, in the next couple of months that is about Nick's life, and uh, that will be a must-see. And lastly, check out Lindsay Adario. She's a modern, current, uh, current modern-day photographer, and she wrote a book about her life last year that did really well. I don't remember the title, but that's somebody I would definitely look at. Okay, question number three. Uh, isn't this genre insanely dangerous? Uh, I guess some of you would say that might be a stupid question, but uh, yes, it can be. Robert Kappa, for example, was killed in Vietnam. A lot of other photographers have lost their lives over the years. Chris Hondros and Tim Hetherington are two that come to mind. Uh, basically, back a few years ago, they were both killed in Libya. And in uh, 2011, I think they were killed. And, and also, uh, some photographers have really taken this idea concept to heart. There's an English photographer named Tim Page who did a book called Requiem. And Requiem is about all the photographers, both on both sides of the conflict, that were killed during Vietnam. And it's one of the most incredible photo books I've ever seen. It's in my book collection and will always be there. And on a weird side note, just to date myself even further... Tim Page and I used to write letters back and forth, like literally physical letters. I still do this today with a bunch of different people, but I literally would send him a letter and he would literally write a reply and I would get it in the mail. It was very cool. I highly recommend that still to this day. Number four, why does anyone do this kind of photography? Again, great question, whoever submitted that one. There are a few rare people who feel, really feel the need to be a witness for the rest of us. So you gotta understand perhaps more so today than ever before. The people engaged in these, in these conflicts, these wars, or any sort of photojournalism story, they don't want anyone to know what they're doing. So the photojournalist is a marked individual. And to do this job, you have to want it more than anything you've ever wanted. And luckily for the rest of us, there are a handful of people scattered out there who really, really want to do this work. And if you've ever spoken to a photojournalist and somebody who's put their life out there like that, to hear the stories of the behind-the-scenes stuff is remarkable. And to think that they would go through some of these things and then come home, regroup, and go back just proves that they are super committed, super brave, and in most cases, they're very intelligent, intelligent and knowledgeable to what's actually happening in the theater. It's a per, they're pretty interesting modern historians. Number five, does a photojournalist look at photography in a unique way? Short answer, yes. Photojournalism requires the practitioner to think about capturing a singular critical image that entirely summarizes a story or an event while also utilizing that same image as a small part of a larger essay. That, and the essay might provide a background, a history, additional information to the viewer, but you've got to first hook them with that remarkable single image, and it's not easy. It takes a long time to learn this kind of photography, and again, commitment and practice, practice, practice. If I ask you to close your eyes, and I give you a list of certain images uh, associated with different events, I can almost guarantee that you will close your eyes, and when I give you these titles, you will bring up those images in your head. And the reason I'm, I'm throwing this out there is that this is what good photojournalism does. So when I say something like the Hindenburg disaster, chances are you are seeing the same image that I am seeing right now. Our eyes are wide open. That image is technically not in front of us, but our brains are bringing it back up. And you could be in China right now, you could be in France, you could be in the U.S., and we're all thinking of the same image. That is a great photojournalism image. What about the assassination of Robert Kennedy? 
That's another one that when I close my eyes or even with my eyes open, boom, that image comes in. I already mentioned Nick Oot's photograph from Vietnam. That's another one that is instantly recognizable. And uh, that's what every single photojournalist is after, is that singular defining moment. And it's not easy. Again, uh, I've said this about photography in the past, but we're like baseball players. Most of the time we're striking out or we're pop, hitting pop flies. And uh, if you hit, if you bat 300, you're considered a genius. And I think the same thing applies to, uh, to photography. Okay, question number six. How has the internet and technology changed photojournalism? My short answer to this question is dramatically. First came the move to 35 millimeter style cameras back in the day, the Leica. Um, and perhaps digital and the new technology, perhaps the most critical change that it's brought in is speed. Digital photography allowed for basically people in the field to send images in real time time frames via satellite phone instead of you know literally having to go to the airport through the green zone or wherever they are and convincing strangers to carry their film back on commercial flights people think i'm i'm joking when i say this but it's true during the 70s and 80s these photojournalists would be covering these stories there were no satellite phones there were no 3d transmitters there was no internet and so no digital cameras, certainly. And so people would shoot film in the field and go to the airport, a commercial airport, and they would literally go up to the passengers. You could still do that at this time and say, hey, uh, I'm a photographer. I'm with such and such. Here's a bag of film. Do you mind carrying this with you on the flight? And, and someone will meet you on the other end and take the film from you. Today, you'd be like, first of all, you'd never get near the airport. You'd, anyone tries to hand you something, you'd be running the other way. But back then, that's how they did it. And digital eliminated all of this stuff. The internet's been both incredibly powerful, but it's also been a dangerous thing to add into the mix because people that the people that photojournalists are, are photographing now, they're also online, right? So if you're a photojournalist and you show up at a roadblock to get into a country to do a story, what if they go check your Instagram feed or they go check your website or whatever it is? Now these people can, can see through the technology who you are, what you stand for, and maybe you've done something in the past that they don't particularly appreciate. So it's kind of a dangerous thing too. It's kind of, kind of complex. Number seven, question number seven. Do photojournalists crave books as much as other photographers? Short answer, yes, and maybe even more so. Historically, or at least going back to the beginning of the Magnum days, photojournalism was really aimed at the editorial market. So magazines, magazines, magazines. This is still true today. It's still very cool to get into the magazines. However, photojournalism has really fallen out of favor with modern publications based on the fact that photojournalism doesn't sell advertising very well. So there's less space for it. There's less people doing it. There's less money committed for photojournalism. And so these people have really had to scramble. And one of the great things is that books for photojournalists become testimony. They are evidence. They are hist their history. You cannot run or lie from what's in these books. So what's happening at these events, regardless of whether or not magazines are going to publish it, the world is going to have this book as a testament to what went down. So I think books for photojournalists today are perhaps even more important than they have ever been. Number eight, what are, your, what are your, some, some of your favorite photo books, Dano? Well, thank you for asking. I will tell you, just to name a few, let's go back to Jim Nachtway, Deeds of War. I found Deeds of War in the Austin Student Union Co-op. When I was in school, it was on the bottom shelf in the middle of the store, and I probably single-handedly wore that book out without buying it. Sorry, Jim. But I had no money at the time, but I found it, and it absolutely turned my head inside out. On Keeping with Nachtway, he did another book called Inferno, which is about the size of my coffee table at home. It's ginormous, and I heard that... 
it was sent to every member of the United Nations. And it's literally, it's a, it's a book that overwhelmed a lot of people because it's so big and so heavy and so dark, but it's, it's great that it's out there. Um, Ron Haviv did a book called Blood and Honey, which is still to this day one of my all-time favorite war books. And it's not just a photojournalism book. It's a history lesson, and it's really well done. Again, Maggie Stieber's Dancing on Fire, I love. Tim Hetherington, who was killed in Libya, uh, is known really for a film called Restrepo and the work that he did in the Middle East but he uh, and in Afghanistan. But he did a book called Long Story Bit by Bit, which was um, on Africa. And I think it's a genius book. It's beautiful and really well done. And this is a book that sort of the next book falls between the documentary and photojournalism category, but it's called Beyond the Fall by American photographer Tony Schwa. And I think that's how you pronounce his name. And if it's not, I'm sorry. Uh, Beyond the Fall is, documents the fall of the Soviet Union. Black and white, Leica, 35 millimeter, classic, classic documentary stuff that I love. And then I'm going to throw in a little bonus book here at the end, End of the Game by Peter Beard. And Peter Beard, if you don't know him, is known for making journals. He's an artist. He's crazy. Uh, he lived in Africa for many, many years. But he did a book about the um, African elephant that's uh, not really would be a book that people would throw in the photojournalism conversation, but I'm going to do just that. Number nine, are there certain publishers who specialize in photojournalism? Yes, just to name a few, Trolley Books, Aperture Foundation, Fiden, among others. Number Question number 10, the last question, what is the future of photojournalism? And I think this is perhaps a, a more poignant question today than ever. Uh, it's a scary question, that one that needs to be discussed. The health of the industry has been a topic of debate going back decades. I remember magazines in the 90s saying, is photojournalism dead? Um, and is photojournalism viable in the TV age? Are people still interested in seeing the kind of work? Will anyone pay for the work? And the truth is yes to all the above, but there are conditions to that yes. The still image continues to have a hold on our brain. A great still sears itself into our memory and never lets go. We talked about that earlier with referencing specific images. That's not something that typically happens with a TV broadcast. The public still wants to see this work, and certain groups will still pay for it, um, but you know it's harder and harder and more and more difficult to get this to happen. I think photojournalism is perhaps in need of reinvention, but the modern photojournalist now has direct access to the entire internet-connected world. Just let that sink in. So as with all things in life, there's an upside and a downside to like photojournalism being in a rocky place, but I'm going to leave this on a positive note. If you're smart, and talented and organized, you can do anything if you're focused and you just keep trying and do the best work you can. So the future of photojournalism to me is it's going to be uh, continually adapting to what the playing field is throwing at it. But uh, thankfully, there's a lot of committed people out there and there's a lot of young photojournalists coming up. So let's tip our hat to them. And I thank you for tuning in again to our audio Q&A. We'll be back again next month with another delicious topic. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you then.